Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Today in the program, we're going to talk about this push by certain senators to look into China's illegal activities in the West Philippine Sea. Now, what can this investigation inquiry uh, reasonably achieve given President Rodrigo Duterte's appeasement and defeatist policy toward China even this late in his administration? The Philippine government is expected to announce new quarantine classifications on Wednesday. Pia Gutierrez tells us that health officials in private hospitals back an extension of the current uh, restrictions in the Greater Manila area as the country's total coronavirus infections reach 1 million. The Philippines' total COVID-19 cases breached the 1 million mark on Monday. That's after health officials reported over 8,900 new cases. The country is the 26th in the world to reach the grim milestone and the second in Southeast Asia to do so. 70 new deaths and over 11,000 additional recoveries were also reported. The Department of Health notes a slight decrease of COVID-19 cases to a 9,500 daily average this week from 10,800 cases the previous week. It also notes the declining healthcare utilization rate as hospitals converted the number of their isolation beds to ICU beds. But the health department says there's still a need to continue to decongest hospitals. Health Secretary Francisco Duque is recommending extending the MECQ. Kinakailangan ipagpatuloy ang MECQ for another week or two dahil nga yung ating health system's capacity ay uh, hindi uh, masyadong uh, uh -huh. nag improve pa sa ngayon. Pagpatuloy muna natin na ang uh, MECQ para talagang kitang-kita uh, o malaki ang pagbaba ng uh, mga bagong kaso at magkaroon ng reversal of trend. The Private Hospitals Association of the Philippines supports the extension of the modified enhanced community quarantine. Dr. René de Grano says that though interventions such as the ECQ and MECQ have led to a decrease of cases, there's still no room to be complacent. Sana po, siguro mas maganda na i-extend pa po natin muna itong MECQ. Dahil po pagka mm. nagkaroon po tayo ng another surge, palagay ko, baka hindi na po kayanin ng ating healthcare system po. The country's COVID-19 task force is set to meet Tuesday to discuss new quarantine classifications for next month. President Duterte will announce his decision on the community quarantine in his public address scheduled Wednesday. Metro Manila and surrounding provinces Bulacan, Rizal, Cavite and Laguna are all under modified enhanced community quarantine until April 30 to manage the surge of cases. Alam niyo po yung 1 million, halos wag niyo po titignan lamang ang 1 million cases. Unang-una, halos 900,000 na po ang gumaling dyan. So mga aktibong cases natin, eh, mahigit ko mulang 100,000. So I don't think it is a negative reflection. Metro Manila mayors have yet to decide on the recommendation for the community quarantine status of NCR starting May 1. They've been briefed by health experts of possible scenarios. May mga scenarios silang ipinakita na kung uh, sakaling mag-GCQ tayo, ano yung projection ng paggami ng kaso at uh, kung uh, mag magpatuloy ng dalawang linggo yung uh, MECQ, uh, kung gaano karami. At ang isang senaryo nga, yung, uh, kung isang buwan pang ipagpapatuloy ito. 
A former advisor to the National Task Force Against COVID-19 says the Philippines should adopt the best practices of Israel, which succeeded in arresting the spread of the virus. Last January, um, that particular country was the highest in terms of uh, uh, coronavirus per capita. But they did a solid and rapid uh, vaccination that in less than three months, they were able to reduce the hospitalization and deaths. And just uh, four days ago, they opened the economy. Pia Gutierrez, ABS-CBN News. We're now joined from uh, Rhode Island, New York, by a father, Nicanor Ostriaco, a member of the uh, Okta Research Group and a visiting professor of biological sciences at the University of Santo Tomas here in Manila. Good morning, Father, and thank morning, you for joining Christian. us again on the program. Thank you for having me. Okay. We, we, we heard about the recommendation coming from the Department of Health, but I'd like to talk about the numbers uh, as they are analyzed by the, by the Okta Research Group. What do they actually point to? Are we supposed to extend the MECQ? And if so, for how long? So Okta will be releasing our recommendations later today. Uh, we are actually completing our analysis at this point. And in agreement with the Department of Health and the medical doctors, the medical community, we are in agreement that we would like uh, to recommend to the national government to extend the MECQ for at least one more week. And there are several reasons for this. So one, uh, as we have noted on, as my colleagues have noted in other interviews recently, uh, the decreasing number of cases, which is wonderful, is still unstable. And what I mean by that is that the decrease in cases is not um, comparable across all the LGUs of the NCR plus bubble. And so the concern is that if we prematurely enter into GCQ, then uh, the cases in one LGU which are unstable will trigger spikes in adjacent LGUs and we will resurge again. And the second thing and most concerning as the, as the doctors point out, is that at point nine, at the current R equals point nine, uh, our forecasts indicate that the hospitals will not reach pre-surge levels until June. And so we would like to extend the, M we would like to recommend an extension of MECQ to continue to force that R number. The, remember the R is the reproduction yeah. number. So the lower that is, mm -hmm. the lower the number of daily cases. So we, what we would like to do is in support of the DOH and the other hospital groups, we are saying Let's do what we have to do now so we don't have to worry about it later. But is this enough to actually break that cycle of having to go back to an MECQ or ECQ? Because somewhere along the way, somehow, we are seeing certain surges. So in order to prevent a resurge, what we have to do is we have to establish new levels of capacity of contact tracing for testing, for quarantine and isolation. And the national government, to its credit, has already announced that is doing, uh, there are several initiatives ongoing. 25,000 more contact tracers have been announced. Uh, however, those contact tracers need to be hired, they need to be trained. And we, we should not return to GCQ until those 25,000 contact tracers know what they are doing. And the reports are they will only be hired in the next week so we should give them time, we should give the national government and the LGUs time to set this up and to put this into place. The same thing happens with our isolation and quarantine facilities. I'm grateful to hear that the national government is attempting to hire more healthcare workers. So we should make sure that those healthcare workers are hired before we return to GCQ. Mm -hmm. 
In that case, would uh, a one-week extension be enough? Well, again, you know, in Okta, we are completely data-driven. So we would like to do this one week at a time. So we would like to see, again, at this time next week, what are the numbers? What is the R in order for us to know whether or not it is safe to re-enter into GCQ? And this is what we will also, you know, we are encouraging the national government to do is to publish uh, those uh, numbers that will allow us to know that we will in fact be safe once we enter into GCQ. How many contact tracers have been hired and are now on the job? How many new healthcare workers have been hired are now on the job? It's not a matter of extra beds because we know that they publish bed numbers every day, but we need healthcare workers, particularly nurses to staff these beds. Do we have enough of them? How many more have we hired in the last few weeks? So is it correct to say that you're not seeing those information, at least at a very accurate level, even until so, now? So, uh, yes. To, put, so to, to I, factor I, them in, so in your we, computation. So Okta does not have access to those numbers at this time. Uh, we hope that we will be able to access them, especially the additional contact tracers. Now, we consult with Quezon City, so we can use Quezon City as a barometer for the other LGUs. So we can watch Quezon City. If Quezon City is able to hire um, new contact tracers, we assume that the other LGUs are also hiring contact tracers. And what we know from Quezon City is that the hiring is ongoing but has not yet been completed. Okay. And what do, do, do you see any significant changes, uh, any, any significant improvements during the two-week ECQ and the current MECQ now, as far as uh, improving the healthcare capacity is concerned, to be able to cope with uh, the, 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 the surge that we're seeing now? So in the past month, to its credit, the, um, the national government has increased the bed capacity. And in the last few days, it has been able to increase the ICU capacity. My concern is because we were able to, to model a nursing capacity is, is our concern. He, my, my concern in particular is that we are increasing these numbers of beds, but we're not sure if the national government has been able to, uh, in parallel to creating these beds, uh, also hire the new healthcare workers that will be needed in order to staff these beds. And so we would like it to be more transparent with regards to these numbers. Mm -hmm. At the current numbers that you're seeing, um, how how long can we sustain, uh, or can uh, can we cope cope with the surge to be able to prevent the next big surge? So what we what we notice is over the course of the past since April first, uh, despite the tragic numbers of new cases, the number of cases admitted to our hospitals never really reached beyond 8,000. And so we believe based on our modeling that the limitation here is actually not beds. It is actually healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we are, in terms of our current healthcare capacity, um, with regards to healthcare workers, based on our modeling, we believe that many of our nurses are already overburdened. Mm -hmm. um, and we are hearing this in anecdotally on social media. Uh, that our healthcare workers are simply overwhelmed. And so um, how long can we sustain this? Uh, it's a matter of time before uh, our contact, our healthcare workers are gonna be exhausted. How long? Well, they're heroic already.
did you also see any significant improvement as far as testing is concerned? Because uh, unfortunately, if you look at the numbers of daily testing conducted nationwide, they still fall uh, very much short uh, of the expectation or the target. Absolutely. And we have heard that and the, the, the national government has announced uh, that antigen tests are going to be expanded. It's not yet clear. Uh, we don't have the data yet. I do not have access to that data. We hope to request it from the Department of Health. Exactly how much more testing will be done with regard to antigen testing. Mm -hmm. So our positivity rate has to drop below 10 to below, below five before we can be confident that we can control. We are still in the high teens. So we still have a significant, um, we still have significant movement before we can, can be when we can before we can consider ourselves in relatively safe in a safe zone. Yeah, and to put that in context, we uh, we also have to consider the fact that uh, a lot of people are still not being tested. And yes, in fact, um, you know I have students at UST who 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 they believe and I believe based on their symptoms uh, were COVID positive, but they refused to get tested because it was too expensive for their families, number one. And they were so scared to go to the hospital because of the news that these hospitals were completely overwhelmed. So you can see how an additional week can alleviate some of the concerns of our people who are deeply, who are deeply worried that these high numbers mean they have no access to healthcare. Okay, you mentioned the unstable numbers or decrease that you're seeing so far uh, across Metro Manila among local government units. Um, can you provide more specifics? Uh, for example, which particular areas are considered problem areas so far when it comes to this instability? Uh, no, I, I, so, so again, uh, one of the things that is positive that we can say is that these LGUs are experiencing a decrease. It's just that they are not uh, at similar levels. So, mm -hmm. uh, and we're not just looking at the NCR because we have to look at the uh, entire NCR plus. So talking to Professor Guido David yesterday, for example, as we considered our recommendation, he brought up that Bakuor in Cavite is still not where it should be, okay. right? And they, they've experienced a spike. And so when you have spikes in the NCR plus, and then you start opening up the NCR plus, the concern is these spikes will overflow unless the local government units, not only in that particular city, but in the adjacent area, have sufficient contact tracing, isolation, quarantine facilities to prevent that spike from exploding. And of course, it's also important to put things in perspective that when people or when officials say that the numbers are, that the, uh, the daily number of active cases or positive cases are decreasing, you have to look at the actual numbers. There's still too many. There's too many. I mean, even 3,000 cases in the NCR every day is significantly more than we experienced uh, during the first surge in July. And, you know, uh, now the hope, of course, is that we are building capacity, but we have new variants. We have no sense yet for how the variants will react once we reopen. Uh, and if you have variants that are at high numbers now because of the current surge, when you reopen them, they will simply research. Okay, Father Nicanor Ostriaco, thank you for joining us on the program, Father. Thank you, Christian. God bless you. God bless you, Father.
Let's check on the COVID-19 situation in Marikina City. We're now joined by uh, Mayor Marcy Tidoro. Good morning, sir, and thank you for joining us again on the program. Christian, good morning. It's nice to be back at ANC. Okay, so given the experience uh, in Marikina City so far during the two-week ECQ and the current MECQ, uh, what do you think? Should the MECQ be extended? At the outset, Christian, uh, let me state the fact that uh, Uh, indeed, there's improvement in the, in the average daily attack rate, but uh, it remains uh, at high risk threshold. And secondly, our healthcare and ICU utilization rate has improved, but it has remained uh, above uh, the 70% uh, threshold, which can be considered high risk also. So given these key findings, I think it is necessary that uh, the proposed MECQ be extended. But... Uh, careful consideration uh, with regards to economic activity should be undertaken or appropriately undertaken. My point, Christian, here is that uh, we should be able to critically balance our health concerns and economic matters. Uh, maraming nagugutom ngayon, eh. maraming nakakaranas ng pagkawala ng uh, trabaho, ng uh, kahirapan. My, my take on this, Christian, is that uh, uh, MECQ can be... Uh, can be extended, but uh, with more economic uh, activities, opening more economic activities. Uh, I think we should be able to redefine the, the, the definition or criteria of MACQ with regards to uh, uh, more economic activities. So basically, we can keep the MACQ for, for how long? Uh, the consideration here is that uh, Uh, current consideration being proposed to the Metro Manila mayors uh, is to extend the MECQ for another two weeks and after which uh, it can be assessed and evaluated if uh, we could further downgrade it to, uh, to uh, GCQ. Okay, uh, so basically you're suggesting refinements in the current uh, MECQ structure that we can keep it for another two weeks but you have to somehow further de- uh, reopen the economy. So, uh, as far as Marikina is concerned, what are the specific industries you think should be allowed to operate at limited capacity even if the MECQ is extended for another two weeks? It's the retail establishments, I think, Christian, in order to generate uh, some activities on that uh, sector uh, in order to encourage uh, production and manufacturing. Uh, uh, our uh, Our, for example, our um, uh, food uh, uh, industry, our restaurants here in Marikina is really suffering uh, big losses uh, because of the uh, restrictions uh, provided under the current uh, MECQ uh, guidelines. So uh, on that aspect, well, we are proposing that uh, uh, opening of uh, or further uh, uh, lifting of restrictions on this uh, aspect. Okay, let's go to your current numbers. Uh, how many positive cases or do you have at this stage, at this point? When we, uh, when we start the month uh, of April, uh, Christian, we have 2,883, I think, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken with my figure, Christian. As we speak now, we are at 887 uh, active uh, cases. And we're, we're hoping that this will further... Uh, go down uh, provided that we have uh, we have a better uh, contact tracing uh, uh, activities now 
uh, that uh, we are able to uh, prevent, detect, uh, isolate, treat uh, uh, immediately uh, within uh, uh, two to three days. Of course, the, uh, the ideal uh, period is to within 24 hours from exposure or from uh, transmission. But uh, we are nearing that uh, target. Uh, at present in Metro Manila, uh, uh, on the average, according to the DOH, we are at 5.5 days uh, before we could detect, isolate, and, and treat uh, a patient. Yeah, that is still off the mark, right? Because uh, of the current search that we're seeing now. So, medyo yeah. mabagal pa rin, no? But as far as significant improvements are concerned, let's say in terms of uh, testing, how much has Marikina City improved? And of course, again, you have to put this in context that even if there are significant improvements in one LGU, you have to contend with the fact that other LGUs might not be experiencing uh, that level of uh, a significant improvement, which could also pose problems later on if you talk about the region itself. Yes, correct, Christian. Uh, that's my point. Uh, it, the improvement cannot be on a standalone uh, basis, but it should be uh, treated as, as a region or as a cluster. Uh, in, in Marikina, we don't have any problem with testing since uh, we have our own testing center in, uh, in Marikina. With the fact we have a very good surveillance uh, or target, uh, target uh, testing for particular sector of, of the population. Uh, but the problem is that uh, our borders are porous. Uh, people are coming into Marikina as well as Marikina. People or residents are going into other places for, for their work or for their other uh, activities. So, yun yung problem talaga eh, that uh, to have a unified uh, uh, testing parameter as well as um, uh, a shared uh, database uh, for uh, for the whole NCR can can uh, can. Um, can um, can undertake this uh, shared database. This is not the first time that that, that 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 you brought this up. This has not been established yet. Uh, it's a work in progress, Christian. Uh, it's a work in progress. Uh, um, uh, the connectivity of the, the the different apps that the LGUs are using. Of course, we know that uh, we are supposed to use it, uh, Philippines, uh, but. Uh, uh, but uh, it's not yet uh, 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 being uh, connected to different areas or areas. Mayor Tidoro, what, what do you think is a problem regarding that? Is it budget? Is it coordination? Is it the technology? Because we've been experiencing this for more than a year now, and you see that different LGUs have different levels of efficiency as far as contact tracing is concerned, as far as testing is concerned, as far as data management is concerned. But it boggles the mind why we still lack this coordination even at this point. What do you think is the reason? I think it's the setting up of the standard, the parameter that uh, we need to use. Uh, we need, I think, to use uh, to, to have uh, a regulatory framework on this that uh, one LGU will be mandated and uh, will be uh, will be uh, uh, will be enabled uh, to use uh, uh, one particular system. Uh, secondly, it's a technology, I think. It's a compatibility of the different technologies that the different LGUs are, are using. So in terms of vaccination, how many have you vaccinate, vaccinated so far? Uh, 21,833. Uh, that's around 8 or 9% of our uh, target population of 70% in order to, uh, to establish herd or population immunity. 
the challenge still remains with the uh, delivery of the supply of the vaccine or, or, or of the supply of the vaccine. The vaccines that uh, were purchased by the Marikina City government, when are they expected to arrive? We're expecting it to arrive at the third quarter of this year, around uh, June or July. Uh, we have, uh, uh, so we are at this point in time uh, contingent or dependent uh, solely with the supply being provided by the by the national government. So can, can this be completed, assuming that the supplies would come during the third quarter, that the vaccination target of Marikina City can be completed within the year? Uh, based on our uh, simulation and time and motion study, uh, if we are going to receive enough supply of vaccine, uh, if we vaccinate or inoculate around 3,500 or 3,700 uh, people a day, uh, given the number of vaccination sites that we have, we have one mega vaccination facility and several uh, uh, on-site uh, vaccination, uh, minor vaccination uh, that can vaccinate around 100 uh, people a day. Uh, in 180 days, we could finish vaccinating the 270,000 uh, individuals that we we have targeted. Okay. Finally, Mayor Chodoro, so your preference, if I got it correctly, is that we can extend the MECQ for, let's say, another two weeks, but you have to open certain sectors further, right? But in terms of uh, support, we, we we also we we already know the support that came from the national government. But as far as the local government of Marikina is concerned, they still they still have budget to provide support or aid to the residents of Marikina City during this extended MECQ, assuming it happens. On the extension of uh, MECQ in terms of support or financial yeah. assistance, I think whatever. The yeah, the budget can no longer uh, sustain the, the said activity. But uh, that's the reason why we're proposing here in Marikina that if the MCQ, MECQ will be extended, uh, opening up of uh, certain economic activities in order to uh, mitigate the losses in jobs uh, and uh, income losses uh, will, be, uh, uh, will be achieved. Uh, hindi kaya Christian ano eh, na, na palaging ayuda at wala nang maibibigay talaga rin uh, ayuda. Uh, what we we want to happen is that uh, any resources uh, that we could have now be uh, provided to, on improving uh, the healthcare capacity of the city. Uh, we need to improve on our public health capacity, uh, especially on contact tracing and immediate isolation and uh, respondingly routine uh, monitoring. Similarly, uh, we need to continue on uh, 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 on our uh, observance of uh, minimum public health standard. Uh, may gastos din doon, Christian. Eh. Hindi no. po pwedeng uh, wala. We need to provide the necessary public infrastructure for the, uh, for the purpose. Uh, in terms of readiness uh, in uh, opening uh, uh, certain economic activities, uh, the proper public health infrastructure should be in place and regulatory uh, framework in terms of uh, compliance in the minimum public health uh, standards, particularly in public settings, Christian, in businesses as well as in uh, workplaces. Uh, the engineering controls, the administrative controls that we need to put in, uh, in our workplaces and uh, in businesses. Uh, ito yung kailangan natin that we need to put into our uh, resources and not 
Of course, ayuda is very important. Uh, it serves as economic stimulus. But um, uh, we need to, uh, to, to have a more sustainable and viable uh, economic activities. Okay, Marikina City Mayor Marcy Tidoro, thank you for joining us this morning, sir. Uh, thank you very much, Christian. The Philippine Senate, not content with a gag order issued to Lieutenant General Antonio Parladi Jr., a spokesperson of the government's anti-communist insurgency task force. 14 senators have signed a resolution seeking to censure him after he called some of them stupid for wanting to defund his task force due to relentless red baiting. Senate Minority Leader Franklin Drilon says he will file the resolution today, but it will have no legal bearing. Drilon says the Senate can exercise its power off the purse. The fact that, uh, that uh, the committee report, uh, committee report number 186, uh, which was sponsored on the floor by Senator Laxon, is not being given uh, appropriate uh, um, importance, is a political issue that will, be, will come up with when we start debating on the budget of the uh, NT of, of, of the uh, uh, NTFLK. The Senate can withdraw, can, can give them a zero budget in 2022. On Monday, five senators also filed a resolution that seeks to investigate the spending of the National Task Force to end local communist armed conflict. The results of that investigation will help lawmakers decide whether the agency deserves another budget next year. You're now joined by a Senate Minority Floor Leader, Franklin Drilon. Good morning, sir, and uh, thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, Christian, and thank you for having me this, this morning. Okay, let's start with that uh, issue with uh, General Parlade. Uh, we've heard what he has been saying, or he had been saying, uh, not just about the community pantries, but uh, there's this uh, lingering question as to why, despite everything that he has been doing and saying, he's still in that position. He may have been given a gag order, but he remains a spokesman of the NTF-LCAC. What do yes. you mean? Well, uh, in the first place, the continued designation of General Parlade as the spokesman of the NTF-LCAC is in violation of the Constitution, particularly Article 16, Section 3, which prohibits uh, officer, officials in the armed forces, in the active service, from being designated to any civilian position uh, in government. Uh, this is consistent with the principle of civilian supremacy uh, in our bureaucracy. So and in committee report number 186, adopted by the Senate, uh, which was sponsored on the floor by Senator Lacson, I introduced an amendment which specifically uh, uh, considered as illegal, the continued designation of Parlade as the spokesperson. You asked the question, why is he still there? I think you should ask the question from Malacanang, not from us, because we have already stated our position on this. Now, but, they get, but they get the sense that uh, he's untouchable. Well, <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the inevitable conclusion, uh, because uh, notwithstanding the fact that we have adopted this uh, committee report uh, about a month ago and notice has been given of the adoption of this uh, committee report and in other words the official act of the senate now it has been ignored 
So, yeah, it would appear that uh, he is indeed untouchable. You know, the difficulty of this is that when he when, when he speaks, you would not know whether he is speaking as a military uh, active uh, military official or a member of the task force. And that is precisely why the Constitution prohibited the designation of anyone in the active military service from being designated to any special civilian position because of the projection that uh, uh, that the military is in control uh, of the bureaucracy. Okay. When do you think that inquiry into the budget of the NDFL can reasonably happen? Uh, well, uh, under the law, under the budget uh, law, the uh, LCAC is supposed to submit uh, its quarterly report to the Senate and the House on the disbursement of the budget assigned to them, uh, which uh, and, and we're already the 26th of, of, of uh, or 27th of April. And uh, in other words, this was due uh, three weeks ago. So it should, they should be submitting this shortly. And I will remind, uh, uh, I, I'm reminding uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the the NTF LCA, uh, led by I think Secretary uh, Esperon, to submit uh, at the earliest possible time the uh, report so that we can examine this. Okay, of course, this is an exercise of your uh, oversight function. Uh, but what will happen if they fail to do so? What what will happen is that if we find uh, uh, the uh, the uh, disbursement uh, not in order, then we'll bring this to the attention of the of of, of, uh, of uh, the cabinet of the president. Uh, bring it to the attention of uh, the ombudsman. Uh, bring it to the attention of the commission on audit. Okay, and what do you make of the uh, brazenness of uh, General Parlade? Because uh, to a lot of people, that was quite unimaginable for a military officer to hit back at senators and even use that term stupid uh, over an issue which is of course legitimate, his unfounded allegations against community pantries. But here he was fighting back at senators. Where do you think that brazenness is coming from? Well, I don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from Parlade, but uh, this is, I have been almost 24 years in the Senate. This is the first time I hear of member of the armed forces uh, who called the senators stupid. That is why in the resolution which uh, we filed, uh, which we will file today, which will, uh, which will uh, censor, which proposes to censor uh, Parlade, it has already the support of 14 senators. Uh, and therefore, the, this is as good as adopted when we present it for adoption in plenary on May 17, when we resume our session. So it is a certainty that Jared uh, Parlade will be uh, censored by the Senate for this kind of a conduct when we come back on May 17. Okay, so it's more than uh, the majority, 14 senators out of 24. But uh, do you think that Parlade, that only Parlade is the problem, or that uh, his is a symptom of a much bigger problem that we're dealing with as far as the uh, 
campaign of President Duterte is concerned against the local communist insurgency. Because again, it boggles the mind why if uh, the superiors of Parlade uh, had been disowning some of his statements, why is still there, right? Well, we just, I will limit myself to what I have seen and heard Parlade say. Uh, it is disrespectful. Uh, I would not go behind his motive at this point for lack of any evidence uh, that uh, we have uh, that we have secured. And so, therefore, I would limit myself to that disrespectful uh, and and almost contemptuous conduct of uh, General Parlade. Uh, if he was a resource person uh, in the Senate, if he was a witness in the Senate proceeding. We thought we could have cited him for contempt, but since he is not a witness, he made his statements uh, outside of the uh, proceedings in the Senate, then we can only censor him uh, for this kind of a conduct, which, uh, has, which, to me, which to me has not happened in the past. And this shows the contempt that Mr. Parlade, Jared Parlade has on the Senate. Okay, but uh, can you also realistically defund the uh, the NTF LCAP or even just realign some of its budget? Uh, because we know that this is um, very much part of the campaign of President Duterte against uh, the, the communist movement. <laughs> Firstly, Christian, let me make it clear that this is not a new program. Uh, and this program has existed uh, and was administered before by the Office of the Presidential Assistant on the Peace Process, uh, OPAP. Yeah. And, and uh, it, was in, it was a program which was administered by the different uh, departments uh, so that if it is a livelihood program for the barangays who have been, which has been cleared of uh, insurgency, then the Department of Agriculture will now institute, uh, undertake uh, livelihood projects on a budget that are already that is already assigned to a department or uh, and uh, similarly in the department of labor or department of trade and industry yeah. etc the difference today is that 19 and a half billion a whole a huge amount yeah. is uh, placed in the control of the ntf LCAP, uh, led by uh, uh, Secretary Ebdani, and uh, and and uh, and uh, Esperon, Esperon. I'm sorry, Secretary Esperon. And and this is the first time it has happened. Uh, uh, it is been it is directed by uh, by the NTF uh, LCAP instead of the line agencies, and and that is why. Uh, these questionable to me. Uh, I, I have raised this issue yeah. when this budget was being debated upon in the Senate. Unfortunately, since uh, we belong to the minority, the bicameral conference committee did not deem it uh, proper to uh, to heed my concerns and my objections. Now, there's talk about, uh, about removing the funds. Can this be done? That's your question. Can we defund it? Yes, because the power of the purse is with Congress. When the budget of the uh, national government is presented 
uh, in the second half of this year, we certainly have uh, the authority to remove any fund from uh, the uh, from the uh, uh, NTFLK. That's 19 billion uh, when in the budget of 2022. But in the meantime, the more immediate concern is: Can we have it realigned? Can the president have it realigned? The answer is yes. Uh, we can realign these funds 19 and a half to uh, the uh, more immediate need of our people, particularly the social liberation program of the DSWD, the, the so-called AYUDA, uh, to our to our people who are suffering from this continuous, continued and harsh lockdown. Mm-hmm. And this is expressly specifically allowed under the Budget Act, under the Budget Law, the authority of the president to use these funds for for vaccination, to use these funds for uh, uh, livelihood assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're just saying is, realign this to the areas where it is needed, particularly the NCR uh, plus area, instead of the 822 barangays. Now, for example, we'll get 1 billion because of the barangays uh, that are listed as among okay. the 822 barangays cleared okay. of the emergency. You mentioned the barangays or the villages that need, that need to be cleared before they could receive 20 million pesos each. But no, again, no, no, no. Correction, Christian. It's not to be cleared. It is already cleared, barangays. Oh, okay, sorry. Yes. They have to be cleared first before they could get 20 million pesos each. But again, good luck uh, with that convincing President Duterte to realign the budget. Because number one, you have to deal with him. With who? With President Duterte. In terms uh, well, of realigning the budget. Well, that's the only remedy left. Because the budget has been passed. And what remains to be done is the execution of the budget. In our system of government, the execution of the budget is with the president. The power to allocate is with Congress. But uh, we have we, are, we have already allocated the funds as a part of us uh, in our system. It is now the president who executes uh, the budget. And uh, as part of his execution is the power to realign. And that is what we are uh, suggesting. We are urging the president to do realign this this uh, budget if okay. and uh, of course we retain that power to defund the ntfl cap but that comes in okay. the 2022 budget okay now during the deliberations did you see any uh, clear criterion uh, before a barangay could receive 20 million uh, pesos basically okay. any clarity in terms of the criteria <laughs> no it just says cleared barangays 822 barangays uh, listed in in the annex uh, as entitled to this uh, that, uh, uh, to this uh, fund. Uh, that is why all will say is the fund is there as uh, 19 and a half billion higher than the budget of the Department of Labor, um, uh, and it can be realigned so that we can pour this into the area the areas the NCR plus areas which is suffering today from the continuous lockdown. Okay. Now, Senator Drillon, I'd like to go to the other uh, issue, the uh, the incursions by China in the West Philippine Sea. Uh, has the res- resolution been filed? And how many senators are supporting that, that, uh, that proposed filed, inquiry? 
We filed uh, the resolution yesterday. 11 senators uh, signed it. Uh, it is not uh, it is not a, it is not a resolution calling for an inquiry uh, because there is nothing really to inquire but uh, what we are with what we are uh, what the resolution uh, stated the sense of the Senate condemning the illegal acts of China uh, in our in the West Philippine Sea uh, disregarding the rule of law uh, unsettling uh, regional stability, And I previously called for uh, the, the, the government, uh, the administration, to work with our, uh, with our uh, the, the ASEAN uh, neighbors, uh, particularly Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, Brunei, who have similar claims, and work for a multilateral approach uh, on this issue. Because uh, obviously, uh, by their sheer size, Uh, the, we can, we cannot, uh, we 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 uh, we we cannot uh, prevail in a bilateral negotiation. So mm -hmm. I am suggesting that it should be a we should follow a multilateral approach. Uh, that and uh, uh, that is why we have passed this. Or at least 11 senators have mm -hmm. signed uh, the uh, sense of the Senate resolution, which condemns this continued uh, violation of our sovereignty, the so, disregard for our uh, exclusive economic zone, the continued uh, uh, setting aside of the arbitral award uh, rendered in our favor. So do you think it's time to abandon the bilateral consultation mechanism with China? To me, it's time that we should work towards a multilateral approach to the uh, West Philippine Sea issue because That is how it looks. The, the, the geopolitics is uh, simply that China is so huge uh, a country to be confronted by a, a small country like ours. Okay. Let's talk about the implications of the most recent statements coming from President Duterte. Prior to that, we saw strong statements coming from the Department of National Defense and up, up to uh, until now, coming from the Department of Foreign Affairs. But again, when President Duterte spoke, he again sounded defeatist. That It's as if he was still trying to appease China, even this late in his administration, that his red line would be oil exploration by China. But when it comes to fishing resources, basically, he was not prone to move. Oh, okay, what's your question, Christian? So basically, the implications of that statement of the president, especially in contradiction well, to the strong what... statements coming from his uh, cabinet ministers. Well, the, uh, that is why uh, the uh, that is the problem that we have today. It's a difference in uh, approach uh, the different the president has uh, has adopted uh, this uh, this approach of uh, trying to to, to uh, get uh, into the good graces of china in the hope that we can resolve this through that means but apparently we're continues to be ignored by china that is why Uh, we have to we, we resorted to this uh, proposed resolution. Mm. There's also a suggestion. I think this is floated by the AFP chief of staff uh, in terms of uh, the Philippines building new structures in Philippine occupied features in the West Philippine Sea. Do you think uh, this would be a good idea at this time? We support that because from the point of international law, uh, jurisdiction. 
uh, would be uh, would be defined by occupation uh, and uh, the building of structures would be an evidence and manifestation of occupation of a particular territory. That uh, suggestion of the AFP chief of staff will strengthen our claim uh, already on this uh, on, on, on this area, already which is already confirmed by the intern by the arbitral award in our favor. But uh, don't you think that would also go against the uh, DOC, the Declaration of Conduct of Parties in the South China Sea in 2002, and? that could also make the Philippines lose our moral high ground when it comes to the current COC negotiations? Well, the, the, we're just enforcing and uh, enforcing the rule of law. Uh, we have won, uh, the, the, the International Tribunal has sustained the sovereignty of uh, the uh, country insofar as these concerned. The issue has been settled and uh, the putting up of the structure is consistent with the uh, ruling of the uh, arbitral of the tribunal. Okay, Senator Franklin Drillon, thank you for joining us this morning, sir. Welcome, welcome, And that's our program for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen again to our interviews on the ANC Matters of Fact podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.